This morning we get to hear from Stu Oberg. If you remember, Stu went to Guatemala for a six-month trip, and while there he met the Shoeshine Boys. So we got to pray a lot for the Shoeshine Boys and, and to hear about them, so that was kind of, well, I think we lived vicariously through Stu there through the, as he was talking to the Shoeshine Boys. So Stu leads the uh, junior high uh, uh, fellowship here for Sunday school. He is also in uh, RTC seminary classes, uh, and he is in a preaching and teaching class with Walt. Therefore, he gets to practice today. <laughs> so Stu, come on up. He's going to talk to us from 1 Thessalonians 5, one of my favorite pap. Stu, it's yours. Good morning, everybody. It's grateful. I'm very grateful to be here this morning and have this opportunity. <clears throat> Thank you, Carl. So if you have a Bible with you, um, please open it up. And, and if you don't, there's one in front of you and the seat in front of you. And please open with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24. <clears throat> Believers in Christ often know what the Bible says about faith in God. But they can be discouraged as to how to live out that day by day. If you've ever been discouraged and if you want to know what it looks like for discouragement to seem like a distant dream, then this passage is for you. <clears throat> Here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24, Paul assures and tells the Thessalonians how to deal with discouragement and how to press on in the midst of discouragement. If you know what discouragement is like, then read with me in the text. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's the conclusion of the message. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father God, I, I pray to you this morning. We come before you. I feel very inadequate, Lord, but I pray for a special anointing of your spirit to add nothing more to the text and detract nothing from it. That you would move by your spirit to open people's hearts to see more of you, to know you more. And to live that out, because you are faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sometimes life just punches you in the face. When has life punched you in the face? I know it has for me, many occasions. And I can think, you know, when I first think of that, I think of my brother actually physically punching me in the face. But it's okay, we have a good relationship now. And... <clears throat> It can be anything. It can be any sort of trial in your life, you know, a failed test grade, a lost loved one, uh, a lost job, uh, poverty, or what have you. So when has life punched you in the face? Well, Paul encourages us in this life struggle that God's faithfulness carries us through the discouraging punches in life. <clears throat> and God's faithfulness is defined as his perfect loyalty and consistency in being true. God won't abandon us, but he uses trials in our lives to shape and form us. I don't like, feel, like feeling discouraged in my circumstances. I'm sure that you don't like it either. 
whether it's being discouraged in hard times in your life, in the lives of those who you love, or in the lives of those who are less fortunate than you that you see around you or see on the TV or what have you. Discouraging circumstances can make us question, is the Christian lifestyle really worth living? Or is it really worth going after if we're an unbeliever? Is it worth all the struggle and pain at times? But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24, Paul assures God's people, because God is faithful, we can trust him in our circumstances. What does trusting him in our circumstances look like? Well, what we're going to look at is because of God, we can face our circumstances, we can discern our circumstances, and we can overcome our circumstances. Let's look at the first point. Because God is faithful, we can face our circumstances. The Thessalonians were discouraged because persecution and death of some. They were discouraged because they were unsure about the afterlife, that Paul was driven out prematurely to not explain fully what it meant to live in the afterlife after death. And so the Thessalonians were grieving. They were unsure what happens when some of their friends die. So Paul reassures them in this letter as the question is asked, what should believers do in times like these? Verse 16 says, it says rejoice always. That's what it says. And so we can face our circumstances with rejoicing by trusting in God. Why should I rejoice? I just don't want to rejoice. This is too discouraging for me. I don't feel like it. Well, the question we need to ask is how does God's faithfulness encourages us? Encourage us encourages us and enables us to rejoice? That's the question we need to ask. Well, it's simple, because God is faithful. Our circumstances are not a billboard of God's faithfulness, but the very situations where we clearly see God's faithfulness. They're not a billboard of God's faithfulness, but they are the very situations where we clearly see God's faithfulness. Paul is saying that we can trust in God and know that his faithfulness is unchanging even in the midst of life's forced circumstances. That is reason to rejoice. God's Spirit enables and motivates us to do so more and more. But it doesn't end there. We should also pray. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. We can face our circumstances with prayer, by trusting in God. Why? Why should I pray? Well, because you aren't alone when you face your circumstances. We can look to the promise from Jesus addressing discouragement to his disciples before he goes up into heaven in Matthew 28, 20. He says, behold, I am with you always. That's a promise from Jesus right to his disciples. And so when the text says without ceasing, it's saying praying without ceasing. It doesn't mean that, okay, I'm going to continue to pray and there's no gaps and nobody can talk to me and I'm going on and on. Instead, it's, it means constantly recurring. So it's like having a walkie-talkie that's maybe on your shoulder And it's always on. It never goes off, no matter what. It gets wet. The batteries never die. It's always on. And so it enables us in the midst of discouragement because God hears our prayers and works through them in our circumstances. Missionary John Payton faced tragic circumstances in his life in the 1800s. John Payton is not some ordinary quack that nobody knows about, but he's a well-known missionary throughout the history of Christianity, and so he faced tragic circumstances with his per- pregnant wife. And so as they, in 1958, when they arrived on the island of Tana in the South Hebrides Island, right above New Zealand, his wife gave birth to a new baby boy, and they were arriving on an island where people never heard of Jesus Christ before. And it was about 250 people on that island, and it was known, they were known for having cannibals there and things like that. But as they arrived, 
within a short period of time, his wife gave birth and then got a fever. And then within a short period of time after that, she died and passed away. A month later, his son also had a sickness. And within a week's time period, he passed away. And he wrote, he said, It would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. But this is what he prayed after digging and burying his wife and his son. He said, Feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too loving to error in anything that he does or permits, I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. That he could have said, I'm out of here, I'm done. I, I don't have anybody here, but he didn't say that. He could have said, I'm out of here, I'm going back to Scotland, and I'm not doing this. Lord, why did this happen to me? But instead, God's faithfulness upheld him in this time. And it moved him to constantly pray because he knew that the walkie-talkie was always on. And also, God's faithfulness moves you and me to also know that the walkie-talkie is always on. We can pray in facing our circumstances by trusting God. Not only does Paul say to rejoice and pray, but he also says to face our circumstances by giving thanks as we trust in God. And so... How does God's faithfulness enable us to give thanks? That's the question we need to ask. We can look back on our lives and and we can see that he was there. If we really take a step back, that's what makes him faithful. And we take a hard look and see. Therefore, I can take a step back and not only give thanks to him for what he has done, but what what he's doing in the moment and what he's going to do in the future. We can trust that God will bring the deepest good in the end. Our limited human understanding can't always understand God's purposes fully. But in giving thanks, we trust in his promises instead of ourselves. So Paul knew that believers get hurt, disappointed, discouraged, but never driven to despair, never forsaken. Why? Because God is faithful. Therefore, we can give thanks because he has always brought the greater good in the end, and he will continue to do so. Friends, therefore, give thanks to God. I've seen in my life how God's faithfulness led me to give thanks in difficult circumstances. When doctors told me that I would never play lacrosse again. Now, one of my dreams in high school was to play college lacrosse. And so God made that happen. He brought me to that point, and I played college lacrosse. And, 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 and as I got to my sophomore year, um, I pulled a muscle in my back, and, and everything was coming together. You know, all, I memorized all the plays, I had team chemistry, I was getting a lot of playing time. Things were going great. Couldn't ask for anything better. And then all of a sudden, it was a cold, rainy day. In w- we were playing Widener University in Chester, Pennsylvania. They're surrounded, the field is surrounded by dorms, people hanging out the window. And the field was very muddy. And I knew my back was acting up that day. And as I t- went down to take a face-off, I you know, got the ball and raked it out. And as I was going to scoop the ball up, I got blindsided. And all I knew is that I couldn't get up, and I was out for the count. And then all of a sudden... I found out that I had two fractures in my back. I was terribly discouraged. I was afraid and I was discouraged that I was letting everybody down. But what I found out is that I was depending on myself instead of God. But because of God's free grace, by some sort of inward persuasion, there was an inward persuasion by the Holy Spirit in my heart, in my soul, that was bringing me to take a step back, take a step back from the situation and to see how he led me to this point and that he will bring me through it just as he always has brought me through. Therefore, I learned to thank God for the injury because it was for my own good and then it was for his glory. 
I couldn't see God's faithfulness during that time as I progressed. But, but as I progressed even further, I was able to see his purposes for that time. And because of God's spirit, I looked to the promise in verse 24. And I was assured that he is faithful no matter what. And so I trusted him and gave thanks. Friends, brothers and sisters, we can all give thanks to God in the midst of discouragement. Why? Because he's faithful. It's not that if I do these things, the praying, the rejoicing, the giving thanks, that God will be faithful. Rather, it's God's faithfulness that encourages us, that frees us, that enables us in to do the rejoicing, the praying, and the giving thanks, even in the midst of discouragement. For the Christian, every day is a, lot, is a day to give thanks to God. Why? Because of the grace he provides us. The whole point of grace is that God gives us what we don't deserve. We are completely unworthy because we reject God. By wanting to live our own lives without him and choosing what is wrong in his sight. But rather, God gives us a gift through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It's a gift, G-I-F-T. No payment for it, but what Christ paid. This leads us to the life of rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Even in the life's most difficult circumstances. And because of his faithfulness, we can not only face our circumstances, but we can discern our circumstances. As we look in verses 19 through 22, Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to downplay God's spirit. He's talking about God's spirit here. God's enabling Holy Spirit is a means of grace to them, and it's also a means of grace to us to lean on in the, and trust him for wisdom and discernment in our circumstances. And so we can discern our circumstances by yielding to his spirit. Yielding can be some sort of churchy word. So rather, you can say surrendering to his spirit. And that means by trusting God when you surrender. And so how does God's faithfulness drive us to yield, to surrender to his spirit in the midst of discouragement? That's the question. Verses 19 through 20, it says, Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. And quench and despise meaning to resist the work of the Holy Spirit. We're resisting it. It is resisting the gifts of God, his provision, like direction, wisdom, guidance from the word from other believers. And so God provides an inward persuasion here. He's providing an inward persuasion of his spirit to believers in Christ. And through his spirit, he gives wisdom and discernment in our minds that we can follow. So friends, why would you not yield to his spirit? Why? Well, one answer would be that we don't think that God speaks to our circumstances. I just don't think that he speaks to me. I just don't think he does. Well, this is unbelief. It's unbelief in the sufficiency of the work of Christ that we're denying that. Or we can ask, we don't think that God needs to speak to our circumstances. I just, I got it under control. I don't need him to speak to me. What we're saying is that we trust ourselves and we can handle our circumstances apart from God. And so instead, we can trust that God, by the gift of his free grace, is faithful to enable us to yield to his spirit and discern in the midst of discouragement. And so we can trust God. We can now see and understand that yielding to his spirit is to also test according to God's word. This is how we discern in our circumstances, to trust in God by testing to God's word. How is God faithful so that we can test things? Well, he gave us the Bible. That's what makes him faithful. It says everything. When it says test everything, it says anything acted upon us, anything said to us, things we've said to others, things we've acted out on. Fill in the blank. The Thessalonians were to test everything according to the Old Testament prophecies. There was a lot of controversy for the Thessalonians on how to interpret Old Testament prophecies. 
but, and, and also, how, does, how did God speak to them specifically? So there was controversy on that for them. But for us, it means to test everything according to the Bible. And so how, you might ask, how, what, what, how can we do this? Well, we can say, how does it measure up with what the Bible teaches? How does it measure up? And so if it's something that does not line up with the Bible, it must be tossed out. It must be disregarded because it doesn't line up. But if it agrees with the Bible, then you must hold fast, it says, because it is validated as good and therefore be thankful for it. So hold fast what is, it, is good, brothers and sisters. Martin Luther describes this very well um, between the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. He says, the Word of God, the Bible, is the greatest, most necessary, and most important thing in a collective body of Christians throughout the world. Without the external Word, that means truth that is external from me, we would not know one spirit from the other. And the objective personality of the Holy Spirit himself would be lost in a blur of subjective expressions. Cherishing the book implies that the Holy Spirit is a beautiful person to be known and loved, not a buzz to be felt. But in the midst of difficulty, the Bible is often the last place we go, and it should be the first. Because God has provided the Bible that points to Christ, our Savior and Lord, shows us that God is faithful for those who put their faith in him alone. So his Spirit, through his word, opens our hearts and eyes, and it keeps us open to see, to believe, and to live out the truth. So he is faithful to provide wisdom by an inward persuasion of his spirit through his word. It's not just one or the other, but it's both. It's not just, okay, I have the spirit, you know, I can get to the Bible eventually, or, you know, I just have the spirit, I'm good. I don't, you know, I don't really need the Bible. Or it's, I have the Bible, okay, I kind of feel the spirit coming in, uh, discerning my situation, I got the Bible, you know, I don't, I'm not going to listen, you know. But the spirit speaks through the word, it's both. And so not only to discern our circumstances, but to also, because of God's faithfulness, we can overcome our circumstances. This is summed up in verses 23 and 24. God calls us to overcome our circumstances by living blamelessly. We do this by trusting God. And so verse 22 and 23b, it says, Abstain from every form of evil, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does God's faithfulness help us to live blamelessly? That's the question we need to ask. Well, by the inward persuasion of his Holy Spirit, it empowers us to abstain from every form of evil, even a hint, every form he's talking about. It must be strongly avoided. This is God's faithfulness. Why? Well, because evil is fruitless. It's temporary and always leads to emptiness. The text says abstaining from every form of evil will prevent you from being led astray. We must be on guard even in the midst of discouragement in these situations. So if I'm discouraged and I feel like there's no hope for me because of what I'm going through, I can look to the promise in verse 24 that God was faithful in my past, now in the present, and will be at the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we live blamelessly, by his free grace of his empowering spirit. This is God's faithfulness. Do you see where this is going? It's not that God's faithfulness in these commandments to rejoice, to pray, and, and give thanks in all circumstances. They're not two different things. Don't ever pit those against one another. But in Philippians 2.13, it says, it best describes this. 
and it supplements this. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That means that our willingness is based on God's willingness. He acts first. He's the foundation. It's not about reaching a certain level of holiness and then God will bless us. Like, it's not about that. No. If this were the case, then we are pursuing our self-interest and not trusting God in his glory. But his faithfulness encourages us and it enables us. We don't earn this. It is his faithful commitment to the promise of sanctification. And this is the connection between verses 23 and 24. And so what is sanctification, you might ask? It is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto holiness. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto holiness. And so he also gives freely what we need in order to do what he has called us to do. He gives us freely what we need in order to do what he has called us to do. So this is the love that motivates us, his faithfulness towards us. How does this further motivate us, you might ask? Well, because Jesus came and he conquered death on the cross, and because he is returning, as it says in verse 23b. And so, Paul doesn't hesitate to ask great things of a great God. This is a prayer here. He's asking for total sanctification. Not, that means it's not dependent on man. Otherwise, the verse would have said something like this. It would have said, now may God promote or aid your sanctification. But when Paul says, may, God, may the God of peace sanctify you completely, he means that God is the initiator and sustainer of the whole entire process. And so, not all of Paul's prayers are answered, we might ask. You know, we look in the other parts of the, of the New Testament, we're like, you know, God doesn't always answer Paul's prayers. Well, he answers this one, as we see in verse 24. So therefore, because of his free grace, we can have assurance to overcome our circumstances by trusting in God. Assurance in what? Assurance in Jesus Christ. To look to him to provide all that we need in the midst of discouragement. God's faithfulness appeared to the Thessalonians in the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, it applies for believers today. And every part of you he's talking about. He said he will sanctify you completely. And so make you perfect, die to sin, live to holiness, your whole spirit, soul, and body, everything. Through and through. God will do it. He'll carry it through. Paul's prayer was for their total sanctification. We could see that. There is a human role in the process, but the focus is that God does the work in shaping their lives. And when God sanctifies it, when God sanctifies us, he does it by his free grace, by his, mean, by his spirit, by means of commandments. That's how he does it. And so the passage goes from commandments in verses 16 through 22, the rejoicing, the praying, the giving thanks, and it goes to Paul's prayer in verse 23. Now may God of peace sanctify you completely. And then it goes to the promise in verse 24, that God will do it. And this promise is God's commitment to make a holy and sanctified people for himself. That's his promise, and he's committed to that. Being forgiven for all my sin and made righteous and perfect in Christ is my only advancement in making sanctification. The faith that justifies because of Christ's perfect righteousness always has a force in it that sanctifies. Why? Well, faith is not signing a card. It's not saying a prayer, asking Jesus to come into your heart. That's a part of it. But overall, faith has a means of satisfying the heart. 
John Piper said, he said, Faith is being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus. And this sees sin as less attractive. And this satisfaction in God gives assurance in overcoming our circumstances. And so we can overcome our circumstances by knowing that. God is faithful to whom he calls. And we can trust him in his calling. So verse 24, we can see that basically says that your willingness to the call is based on God's willingness to his commitment to make a holy and sanctified people for himself. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will do it. He'll do what? What's the it? We've got to know what the it is. He will do it. Well, we can look in verse 23. He will sanctify you. Get it? Come on, Oberg. Get it? He will sanctify you by his spirit. The rejoicing, the praying, the thanking, etc. It's not dependent on you. God chose you to be saved through Jesus Christ. This starts with justification and faith alone. Then there's a sanctification process in making you holy, a step-by-step process, holy like Jesus Christ. That means holiness is not an option, but it's required. It's not that the verse doesn't mean that in an instant at the coming of Jesus Christ, by the, by the power of God's spirit, that in a moment I'm going to be made perfect and I don't need to do anything. I can just sit back and just relax and because it's going to happen. That's not what the verse is saying. But it's saying that it's a step-by-step process and be, to be more like Jesus Christ. And we might ask, why does it take so long? Why? I mean, or we can ask, I just, when I look inside, I just don't see enough of this holiness in me. I just, I just don't see enough of it. And the truth is, is that you'll never see enough. You'll never see enough if you look inside. Rather, it says, look not inside, but look to the promise. And the promise is God sanctifying you, making you holy. A step-by-step process in making you more like Jesus Christ. So therefore, holiness is making God, God. It's making God faithful, no matter what happens in our circumstances. And this is the sole reason why we can overcome our circumstances. Because God will do it. He'll make us holy. This is also an invitation for those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, but to trust him with your life. And how, you might ask, Just look to Christ and keep looking. That he may grant you by his spirit salvation in Christ alone. Look to the death on the cross. Look to the resurrection. Look to the cross and the resurrection. And when he rises from the grave, Jesus Christ, look to the forgiveness of your sins. Look to the perfect righteousness that can be credited to your account. Made perfect before God. Look to Christ. Just look to him. I hope you understand that it is God's faithfulness in which brings you to trust him in response to discouragement. We can see that holiness, which is God sanctifying us, is a complete dependency on him who gives us faith in our calling to be made holy. And the assurance of that calling is that God will do it. And the assurance of our faith from that calling brings you to face your circumstances, to discern your circumstances, and to overcome your circumstances. Missionary John Payton had assurance in God's faithfulness in his tragic circumstances. He he wrote this. After many, many hard times of near-death experiences, he said, My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I knew he was watching everything. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that nothing could take my life until Jesus' work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven that a musket would not be fired 
from any person, not an arrow or stone thrown to take my life without the permission of Jesus Christ, who has all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. Therefore, because of God's faithfulness, brothers and sisters, let us look to Christ. Let us face our circumstances by rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Let us discern our circumstances by testing everything to the Bible. And let us overcome our circumstances by holding fast to what is good. By looking to the promise, the assurance that God will sanctify us and make us holy. And so because God is faithful, he will surely do it. So it doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter in people's feedback to me. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what my performance is. But, but because of God, because he is faithful, we can surely do it. Therefore, we can trust him no matter what our circumstances might be. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you. I praise you. I love you. We come before you that you would continue to open our eyes to the truth of your promise in verse 24, that our confidence is in that, that you are faithful, that you will make us holy, and that we can trust in that, and that's your commitment to make us holy, that it's not dependent on us, but it's a step-by-step process in trusting in your promise that you are faithful and you will do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.